Hello and welcome into this week's edition of the Rookie Stars Podcast here on Racing News Now. I'm Garth Allen, and that is Mr. Tyler Guthrie. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, had a new repaved race at Road America this weekend for IndyCar and F1 at Canada, which should have been interesting, but it wasn't. Um, that's about all that happened this weekend other than ARCA, but NASCAR's back this weekend. I don't know why you thought F1 was going to be interesting. There's not a lot to... Circuit Villeneuve, um, especially with how the F1 cars are. So I didn't really expect anything out of that track. It's just like a couple of straightaways with a couple of chicanes, and that's pretty much the whole track. I've always liked that track. It's put on some good races in the past, but with how big the cars are now, it's almost impossible to race anywhere. But with a wet qualifying and the field a little bit jumbled up, it should have been more interesting than it was. And then Nico Hulkenberg got a penalty and started fifth instead of second. So, yeah, well, you'll have that sometimes. <laughs> not very yeah. often in F1, but you'll have that sometimes. Um, but yeah, not much going on this weekend. Uh, as you said, IndyCar at Road America, F1 at Canada, and you forgot the best race of the weekend, and that was ARCA at Berlin, which for the first 198 laps was not the greatest race of the weekend as Jesse Love ran away with it. In fact, at the first break at lap 75, there was like three cars on the lead lap. Uh, him, William Sawalich, and I don't remember, uh, Hingarani, Sean Hingarani. They were the only cars on the lead lap. Everybody else, Tony Bridinger, Andres Perez, Delara, Frankie Munez, everybody's a lap down. They, Jesse Love put on such a pace early in this race that nobody was going to, to touch him. And then we got to the end of the race, and I don't know if something broke in his car. He did have, like, a fire in the left front the last couple laps, so I don't know if, like, a brake line busted or what exactly happened there. Um, but he did seem to slow down a little bit. I think that was more, though, because he was stuck behind some lap cars who thought their side-by-side -side battle with two laps to go was more important than letting the leader by, which is... Typical Arca at this point, and it ended up losing Jesse the race because he was trying to be respectful and not bump them out of the way and move them so that he could continue on and win the race. So he's trying to find a way around them without making contact. He goes from, it was like a three, three and a half second lead down to nothing at, is either two to go or the white flag. William Sawalich is there. Gives him a bump and run, moves him, and because of whatever Jesse's issue was in the left front, he couldn't ever get back to Swalich to repay the favor. And William Swalich wins his first main ARCA race of his career on the misfortune of Jesse Love. Jesse wasn't happy. Um, in fact, after the race, gave uh, William a bit of a door slam on the backstretch to show his displeasure. I heard uh, both of them were, were called to the ARCA trailer after this, which I thought was a bit much because I didn't really see anything egregious there. But I, I don't know. It, it's, it's one of those cases where lapped cars are in the way yet again, and ARCA continues to not see why this is a problem. Yeah, and I, I guess if you're Jesse Love, you take this, and next time you move the lap cars out of the mm -hmm. way. Uh, I don't know why he didn't in the first place. I feel like if you're leading the race by a whole lot and you come up to two cars running side by side and they don't move out of the way for you, you just kind of tough luck, guys. You know, 
you're you got a race to win. You can't really mess around with them racing for what, like twelfth or something. Right. Like yeah. I, I get the whole respect thing. Like I, I respect Jesse for him being respectful like that. Like you want to see more of that in racing. You don't want to see guys just bulldozing through each other all the time. But at the same time, those lap cars did not show him the same level of respect. As, as the leader, you are supposed to show him more respect than that and get the f- out of the way. And they didn't. They just continued to sit there side by side in their own little world, not paying a bit of attention. And it cost him the win of this race. It cost him his fourth straight win that he should have won. He should have led every single lap in this race and won this race. And instead, he doesn't lead the final two laps because lap cars didn't show him the same level of respect that he showed them. Yeah, and you hate that for Jesse Love, but still, in my opinion, two cars in front of you, lap down, you got to move them. Yeah. Um, it, it, you see the same thing in other NASCAR series of short tracks, like how Bristol used to race. You got to move them. They're not going to get out of the way for you all the time. It, there's tracks too small for that. So I think the track wasn't too small for that, though. That's the thing. They could have single filed out and then continued their battle. But instead, they're like, oh, it's two laps to go. I don't care about the leader. This must be an iRacing server. <laughs> yeah, because that's uh, how people race on iRacing. The lap cars half the time do not respect the leader whatsoever. Oh, and I guess if you're Jesse Love, I don't see how you can really be mad at William Sawalich for giving you a bump and run. That's just kind of how that's going to go if you don't take advantage of your position then somebody else will so well, i don't really see him being mad jesse's whole big gripe there after the race was he said that this wasn't the first time the 18 has quote driven him dirty so there seems to be a pattern of this i i tend to remember one or two other times this has happened but i can't think of exactly what races it was so i don't think this is the first time the 18 has driven him like that so i think jesse is just getting frustrated with how he's being driven when he's trying to show everybody else respect. Yeah, I understand that. But at some point you kind of got to put two and two together. People aren't showing you respect. Don't show them it either. Yeah. Um, If people are going to give you the bump and run, give them the bump and run, see how they like it. And then you can just kind of fight it out between the two of you. You can't just take a bump and run three times and then just be mad about it. You got to do something about it. Right, and that's not the last time these two are going to be battling for the win. I mean, they're clearly the two fastest cars in the field. The 18 and the 20 have been the two fastest cars in the field for three or four years now. So it's not the last time these two are going to be racing for the win. In fact, they're probably going to do it most of the remaining races of the season, at least the ones that Swalich is allowed to race on because of his age. So it's it's one of those things where I I feel for Jesse, I do, because he's trying to be a clean, respectful driver and do things the right way. And he's not being shown that same respect. But yeah, at the same time, when he's not being shown that same respect, he needs to, if he's not going to be shown that same respect, he needs to go out there and start remembering who's not showing him that respect and not show them respect either. Yeah. And you kind of got to rattle some people around to remind them that, you can use the bumper too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen multiple people in the Cup Series do that, and it's kind of one of those give and take situations where, yeah, sure, Sawalich is going to bump you out of the way a little bit, but you bump him back, maybe he'll bump you less. But then when people don't retaliate against people, we'll just throw Ross Chastain into this because I feel like it. If you don't retaliate against Ross, 
he's going to keep doing it because there's no consequences. If you give him a consequence, he won't do it. And he's stopped doing it for the most part now. He has, and that's almost become a problem in itself. Because they have neutered Ross Chastain this year. They really have. Ever since he had his conversation with Justin Marks, he has been non-existent. So I don't know. I don't know if it was Justin Marks, if someone else said something to him, if Chevy said something to him. I don't know what it was, but I think it might have been, been Chevy. Non-existent, huh? I think it might have been Chevy because I know they were at that meeting, and I, I guess from a Chevy standpoint, like you don't want a Chevy tearing up other Chevys. But you also don't want a fast Chevy to now be a slow Chevy because you mm-hmm. told him to not hit anybody. Right. Um, he's he's been non-existent the past couple of weeks, and it's like it's not even like fringes of the top ten non-existent. It's like fringes of the top twenty non-existent. Yeah. I don't. I don't even. I don't know where he went. I don't. I don't know how this came to happen. I think he got the fear of God put in him. As to if you're aggressive at all anymore, we're going to drop the support for track house or whatever. And so he's he's being very timid out there, not doing anything that might put him in a situation where he's going to be aggressive, just trying to stay off the radar. And the problem is he's not won a race yet this year. If he continues to run like this for the rest of the regular season, there's a decent possibility he may not make the playoffs. I mean, in in what, three weeks? He's gone from being the points leader to, I think, where did I see him? Fourth in points, 24 points back now. Like, he is tumbling down the standings at this point. And if this keeps up much longer, there's a decent possibility he may not make the playoffs. Yeah, and I I know I've ragged on Ross Chastain more times than I should have for his overly aggressive driving, but... I think this is a much worse situation for the team and the sport than him running through people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I know I'm doing a complete 180 on this now, but <laughs> it's it's bad. And to have a driver that creates news headlines like he does now running 20th to 25th, you just lost a whole bunch of promotion there. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, that's the thing, like. And this is what I was saying when he was still in his um, his his don't give a f- tour, basically. Um, he was making headlines. And any promotion is good promotion. Even if he's out there being the biggest dumbass ever, running through everybody, getting into fights, whatever it might be, punching Noah Gragson in the face, <laughs> those are highlights. Those are headlines. Those are things that are going to put eyeballs on the sport. Even if they're not something you want to be happening in the sport, they're going to put eyeballs on the sport and are going to convert new fans. When he's not out there doing any of that, those headlines go away. Yeah, and I guess I didn't really think about this side of it happening at the time, but now there's just nothing exciting because, I mean, Mm -hmm. Sonoma was... There was nothing to talk about with Sonoma. Um, Even Gateway was just kind of... Yeah. Well, yeah, when he's not out there running into Denny and Chase the whole race. <laughs> yeah, Gateway's not exactly the best track for stock cars. And then when you don't have three guys just going at it down the back straight, there's not really a whole lot to talk about. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know what you do about it besides 
let the let the reins back loose on him and let him start doing what he does best. I mean, as annoying as it might be, if you're somebody that doesn't like him, he's good for the sport. Yeah. And he's not good for the sport when he's not doing what he does best. And that's make headlines. Yeah. And it, I, I thought it would be like when they talked to him, I thought it'd be maybe like, don't screw with the Hendrick cars because they're Chevy's kind of deal. I didn't think they would just make him completely back off and run 20th the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't see how this is a benefit for them at all. I would feel like you'd rather have a Chevy win the race and a Chevy get knocked out than two of them finish 20 something. I mean, this is a guy that Dale Jr. a few weeks ago on the download was saying that Ross could be the next Dale Sr. Like, he could be the new Intimidator in the Cup Series. And we've completely neutered that and taken it away because Chevy got butthurt that he was wrecking Hendrick cars. Like, that's not good for the sport. I mean, as much as a lot of the old head fans are going to say, oh, there ain't going to be another new Dale Sr., we can't replace him. We need somebody like that. We almost we ain't got did. anybody else like that. Kyle Busch isn't like that anymore. <laughs> Kyle Busch actually raises the race now instead of yeah. trying to take everybody out. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. we need Ross to be like that. And whether you like him or not, we need somebody like that in this sport. And it's really hurt the product that he's not been like that the last few weeks. Yeah, I wonder if uh, the team and Chevy will look at this and make a readjustment and be like, okay, maybe this wasn't the best idea and kind of relax on it a little bit because now he's nowhere. He's Mm -hmm. taking a free fall on the points. He's not challenging even for the top 10 anymore. And I guess this could also just be a slump for him and the team, like a midseason kind of, oh, we suck right now kind of deal because he wasn't really fast at gateway last year i didn't think it was just kind of we talked about it because of the stuff that happened and i don't think sonoma's a good track for him but daniel suarez wasn't really fast at sonoma this year either and he won last year yeah well see and here's the thing ross was not fast through most of the summer last year like this isn't necessarily out of the ordinary in terms of how he ran last year i don't think he ran quite this bad last year but He wasn't really a factor most of the summer last year. The difference was, by the time he went into that summer slump, he had two wins last year. He doesn't have those two wins to fall back on now. Yeah, it does seem like Trackhouse has gotten... They haven't improved any this year, and everybody around them has. Mm -hmm. Um, So it seems like they've kind of fallen, not towards like the Spire guys. Like I don't think they've fallen that far back, but I think they're definitely not in the top three anymore. No, I don't think they're the top three. Um, they still had decent races. I mean, Ross has had races where he's contended for wins. Suarez had a really good shot at winning the all-star race. And I think there's been a couple other races where he's been up there in contention. So it's not like they've been out of the equation a lot of weeks. It's just that they've not been quite as dominant as they were last year. I wonder, cause I saw somewhere Um, there's different levels of support that the manufacturers give, like the key partners are the top level of who they give the most support to. And my understanding is the key partners for Chevy are Hendrick, Trackhouse, and RCR. I'm wondering 
if Chevy pulled some of that key partner support when they had their little chat with Ross. I just, I, I see what you're saying. I just don't see how that improves Chevy's situation at all. It doesn't. I think it was a knee-jerk reaction because they didn't like the bad publicity they were getting and they didn't like the pressure that they were getting from Hendrick. Because, like it or not, Hendrick is their top dog. They may have three key partners, but Hendrick is their number one of those three, no matter how you slice it. So if Hendrick is putting pressure on them and threatening to leave to go to another manufacturer, they're going to want to do something. I just don't know that they did the right thing. I don't know that Hendrick could ever leave Chevy. He threatened to. What did he do? I that? think I think it was an empty threat, but he threatened to. I I don't think there's any credibility to that at all. I think Hendrick has been tied to Chevy for way too long to even really joke about that. But yeah, my I, my I don't no, I don't think he was joking about it. My guess is if Chevy hadn't done anything and Ross continued to take out Hendrick cars and not change a bit, I think. I don't think Hendrick is as tied to Chevy as you think, because if they if they proved in that moment that Hendrick wasn't as valuable to them as he thinks he is to them, then he'd have gone looking to go to Ford or Toyota. Yeah, I mean, maybe I don't see a realm of possibility in which case that would happen, but it's a good theory. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, well, people act like some of these drivers and teams are more married to these manufacturers than they are. Everybody got up in arms when SHR changed from Chevy to Ford and they're like, Oh, Kevin Harvick's never driven a Chevy or never driven a Ford. He can't drive a Ford. He's always been in a Chevy. He's a Chevy guy. And Harvick didn't have a bit of problem with it. I think for drivers, it's more of like a, this is just the opportunity I have right now. But Mm -hmm. I feel like for Hendrick starting out, as a team with Chevy, like all those years ago and never having anything other than a Chevy, I think that would be a much bigger change than a driver because a driver, like sure. You've got the guys like in the Toyota driver program, whatever. And then they go somewhere else. And it's kind of like, Oh, okay. But I think drivers, they're given an opportunity and that's just what they'd have to do. But like all of Hendrick is way too, into Chevy. I'm still surprised that Jimmy Johnson's going to Toyota, but I'm less surprised about that than I would be if Hendrick went somewhere else. See, I don't know about that. I don't think they're as tied to a manufacturer anymore as you think they are, since there's not a lot of things that the manufacturers can do differently with these cars. Like, essentially, all you get from a manufacturer is a nose and an engine at this point. And whatever data they have for setups. So who's to say that Chevy has better data for setups than Toyota or Ford. That's really the biggest thing there is because Hendrick's got their own engine program, so they could move that engine program to Ford or Toyota. No problem. So honestly, it would hurt Chevy more than it would hurt Hendrick because that would take away their biggest engine supplier and their most winning team. So I think Hendrick has Chevy more over the barrel than Chevy has Hendrick over the barrel in this situation. Yeah, I I think Hendrick is definitely in a spot to be able to make threats like that. But I don't think Rick Hendrick would break the loyalty he's got with Chevy. If Chevy didn't show him the same loyalty 
I think you'd be surprised how quickly Hendrick would change that loyalty. Because again, if he's if if he's their number one team and he says that Chastain needs to stop wrecking his drivers or he's going to go somewhere else and Chevy does nothing, that signals that Chevy doesn't see him as their number one team like he thinks he is and like he thinks he should be. So if he's not being shown that same level of loyalty and respect that he thinks he's expected to give to them, all of a sudden that loyalty and respect goes out the window. Yeah, I see your point. Um, Yeah, I, I hope we never get to that point because that would be... That'd be a lot of news, but that I don't think that'd be good news. <laughs> well, it'd be good news for Ford or Toyota, whoever got him. Honestly, if that happened, I think you'd see Hendrick start with a different manufacturer before they went to Ford or Toyota. Maybe. I don't know who they go to, but I don't think they would go to Ford or Toyota. I don't know that there's any manufacturers looking to get into the sport right now, so I don't... Because that's the thing they they went to this car or this this next gen car um, because trying to attract new manufacturers with all this low horsepower bull and it hasn't attracted manufacturers like they thought it would because they thought the manufacturers wanted an easier way to build engines with less horsepower and that has not attracted manufacturers like they thought it would. I think at one point Dodge and Honda were looking to come in when the next gen was like about to be released. And I don't think that's the case anymore. I think they've shied away at this point. So I don't know if they don't like what they see with the next gen or what. Well, and with the next gen that was at Le Mans this year, they turned up the wick on the horsepower. That thing is pushing Mm -hmm. what, like 900, 950? Something like that. I, I don't remember. I think I saw a number somewhere, but I don't remember what it was. It, somewhere in the nine hundreds or thousand something. But so it's, it's so it's back to what it was before they started dropping the horsepower. Right, but that car ran almost twenty four hours with no problems. It it broke a transaxle on like hour twenty two or something. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the NASCAR teams are looking at that and saying, hey, I thought you said that we couldn't make an engine that could make this much horsepower and be reliable. Mm-hmm. I think they're looking at that and saying, this thing ran, it, it did 24 hours of Sebring and didn't break at all in 24 hours. No, it did Sebring. They did 24-hour test of Sebring. Oh, okay. Um, so they tested it for 24 hours before they went to Le Mans to make sure oh, it actually Oh, I got you. Okay, yeah, hours. yeah. But... They're saying this thing ran for 24 hours straight without blowing up. You told us it couldn't do a couple races without blowing up. I think a lot of teams are going to start to criticize NASCAR and their decisions to make this low horsepower package that not really anybody likes anyway. Because mm-hmm. I think every time we have a bad race, I, I know this is a lot of people just like screaming at NASCAR or to scream at NASCAR, but every time we have a race that's kind of boring, everybody goes, well, It'd be different if we had more horsepower. And I think even drivers and teams are starting to get in on this and be like, it would be better if we had more horsepower. Mm -hmm. And I I subscribe to that idea too. But I do think that the Le Mans thing kind of turned a lot of heads and says, we can make an engine at this much horsepower. And I think a lot of those other manufacturers 
we're looking at the high horsepower number and kind of interested in it, like Dodge especially, because what does Dodge do? They make crazy with high horsepower. Mm -hmm. But even like European manufacturers or Asian manufacturers looking at this saying, okay, that's different. That's NASCAR with high horsepower is different than any other program that they run. But NASCAR with the tuned down engines is basically just American sports car racing. Yeah. So if you're a manufacturer and you already have a European sports car team, there's no appeal to go to NASCAR now because it's basically the same thing. Mm -hmm. So if you had the high horsepower, you might actually attract the manufacturers that you lost when you went back down the same horsepower as every other racing series. No, you're exactly right. And it's even more like sports cars with the next-gen car, because this next-gen car is basically a sports car in itself. So, yeah. no, you're exactly right. Um, the The horsepower needs to come back. There has been no benefit whatsoever to dropping the horsepower. None whatsoever. Um, it's hurt the racing. It's hurt the potential for new manufacturers to come in. There is absolutely no upside to it. And NASCAR really needs to lean back on this and and let the horsepower come back because it has done nothing but hurt the sport. I think NASCAR with the next gen car tried to build a sports car to get other people interested in it, but took away everything that was special about NASCAR that other people would have been interested in. Mm hmm. No, you're exactly right. Um, the weirdest part about it is they built a sports car that's bad on road courses. Yeah. How does that work? <laughs> I don't know. It's been absolutely terrible on road courses. Uh, I, 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 I can't explain it. It's a, it's a sports car that's bad on road courses, but really good on mile and a half. I really don't yeah. know how they accomplish that. I, I have been impressed in the mile and a half portion of this car, which great. We're good on mile and a half. Awesome. Yeah. But they made a car to go with the road course heavy schedule that sucks on road courses is terrible on short tracks, great on mile and a half and awful on super speedways. Mm -hmm. So you improved one aspect and killed three others. Well, they, they literally did a complete 180 with it. All of these tracks that it's bad on now, the Gen 6, later in life, and every car before it was really good on those tracks. Like, late Gen 6 super speedways were fantastic. Short tracks were really good. Road courses were good. Intermediates, not so much. They flip-flopped it now. The intermediates are really good. Everything else sucks. Yeah, the problem with road courses with this car is, like, if I wanted to watch a, you know race on a road course i wouldn't pick a nascar anymore if i wanted to watch a race of stock cars on a road course i would pick the actual chevy camaro zl1 mm -hmm. that thing would actually be fun to watch on road courses but this car has such little horsepower now with the new transmission system that it's lost the whole touch of nascar on road courses because Road America a couple years ago when they still had the Gen 6 car, they're slipping and sliding everywhere. That was fun to watch. That's mm -hmm. how Watkins Glen always was. That's how Sonoma always was. But now the cars are so bolted down on the track with such little horsepower that it's lost it. Yeah. No, it, it, it has exactly. 
Um, I think we need to move on, though, as we're getting later in the show, so we can actually do our IndyCar and F1 coverage. <laughs> um, but before we get to that, I do want to give a shout-out to Tony Bridinger. Um, as we've talked about on here, I have been very critical of her in the past. She got her first top five this weekend, finished fifth at Berlin. Uh, now, I say that, and I have to qualify that with there were six competitive cars in the race. <laughs> so I I will congratulate her on a top five, but in a race with six competitive cars, I'm not sure how difficult that really was. But at the same time, it is good to see she finally picked up a top five, career best finish of fifth. She has genuinely improved this season. Um, is she where I think she should be in her, like, third season with Venturini? No. But she has improved. She's getting better. Um, and I'm interested to see what happens going forward. This wasn't even a race that she was originally supposed to be in. Um, this was kind of a last-minute add to her schedule. So it was it was nice to see her on very little prep go out there and 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 do fairly decent with the top five. So just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, moving on to uh, Road America for the weekend for IndyCar, uh, Mr. IndyCar expert. I believe that we differ on how we feel about this race. Yeah, so Road America this year got a repave, which I completely forgot about before I started watching practice. Um, the track was three to four seconds faster than it was last year. Um their practice one times, everybody had a faster time than the pole speed of last year. So the corners had insane amounts of grip, but offline didn't have any at all. Um, there were some drivers that likened it to racing with the PJ one at Texas. If you got offline at road America, which makes sense because of all the fast corners, but the curbs are still in the same place. The grass is still in the same place. And as soon as you got offline, you're just gone. Um, so we saw a lot of drivers get kind of mixed up with that. And Road America is a challenging track anyway. But I thought the race was pretty good. Um, had some movement at the front of the field, other than the leader for most of the race. But the mid-pack was pretty good, and you kind of had some comers and goers. There was a little bit of different strategy. The weird thing was the alternate tires were not fast at all. They were somehow slower than the primary tires. Okay, now, for someone that doesn't understand IndyCar as well, um, what is the difference between the primary and the alternate tire? So the primary is, it's what it is, it's the primary tire. That's just the most basic tire that, like, if you're only going to have one tire, it'd be that one. But to put in some different strategy, they added in the alternate tire, which is softer, faster, but wears more quickly. So usually the alternate tires worth five tenths to a second a lap over the primaries. This week it was like maybe two tenths a lap faster, if not slower, which is unheard of. And they still wore out incredibly quickly. So the strategy this week was to not have to use the alternates but they have to use both sets at least one green flag lap in a race, I believe is the rule. So to fit in with your pitch strategy, you still had to be on them for, I think, 14 laps or so is what they ended up having to do on them. 
but hypothetically, let's say you have a caution. You put your alternate or whatever the worst tire is for that race on. Then you have a caution two laps later. Hypothetically, you could switch back to the primaries and never have to touch the alternates again. Hypothetically, yes, but you would lose your track position. Fair enough. IndyCar is very track position heavy. You've seen, Mm -hmm. you've been able to see so far this year, people like, they'll qualify 20 something, but if they get that track position and get up in the top five, top 10, it takes a while for them to fall back through the field. Mm -hmm. So we've seen Callum Ilot do that. We've seen Augustine Canapino do it. Once you get up there, you can pretty much stay there because all these drivers are so good. But if you fall back through, it's really tough to get back. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Okay, so continue with the race itself now that we have, now that I've learned a little more about primary and alternate tires. I knew they existed, but I wasn't really sure, like, what the difference was there. Yeah, so Road America, it's like a four-mile-long track with lots of long straights. And Andretti kind of Ferrari'd Colton Herta's strategy there at the end of the race. They pitted a lap earlier than anybody else did. And I don't know how much people know about fuel saving, but it's really hard to do in a straight line, especially with Alex Pillow behind you. So they put Colton Hurd on a strategy where he had to save fuel in the last 10 of the race at a track with giant straights. I don't. Doesn't sound very smart. No, not at all. So obviously Colton Hurd fell like a rock through the top five, ended up salvaging the top five, but probably should have finished a lot lower than that where was Uh, he running before this pit stop did that did that give him a net loss or a net gain of where he was uh he pitted from the lead and came out in the lead oh so he was leading before this yep okay yeah he was leading most of the race there's like a couple yellow flags and some cars got in front of like willpower got off sequence and got ahead of him but but once willpower pitted it was carlara heard him below and Andretti screwed up the strategy. So, and I, I thought this would finally be the weekend where an Andretti car, I guess, other than Kyle Kirkwood at uh, Long Beach, would finally put a whole race weekend together because Colton got the pole, was leading almost the entire race. And then they did that. <laughs> and it was. Just, I don't know why you wouldn't do what everybody else did in that situation, but they wanted to get off the alternate reds and they got on the black primaries with less fuel and couldn't go as fast in a straight line on a straight line track. Makes you realize why Rossi left Andretti. Oh, I I never doubted why Rossi left Andretti (laughs) because we've seen this time and time again from a team that should be one of the top three. They show it occasionally. They're Mm -hmm. really fast sometimes. And other times they're really awful. And it's not even consistent through the team because Devlin DeFrancesco is having his best season so far in IndyCar. But Roman Grosjean, who I think is a way better driver than Devlin DeFrancesco is, crashed like six times in one race this weekend. There's no consistency in that team at all whatsoever. And if you look at their qualifying results and their finishing results for the past couple races, you got like one in the top five, another one in the top ten, then like 17th and 25th. The thing is, I think Grosjean is one of the most talented drivers in that field right now, and he is being held back by that team. I really think he needs to 
find a way to get in with like Penske, Ganassi, or McLaren if he really wants to start competing for wins and, and championships. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Um, I, I Andretti's strategy is terrible. Their engineering has just gotten worse almost every year for the past 10 years. Uh, they used to be like the number one team, and now they've fallen off. I would probably rate them about fourth with drivers mm-hmm. that should be first or second. Yeah. Um, Colton Herta, incredibly fast. You put him in a Penske, he's going to be doing what Alex Pelot's doing right now. Mm-hmm. Same thing, I think, with Roman Grosjean. The problem with Grosjean is he got off on the wrong foot to start the season, and he's such a competitive person that once he sees he's losing a little bit, he just claws to get everything back in one go. It's like mm-hmm. the old saying, if you can't win the race on the first lap, but you can lose it. I feel like that's what's happening to him almost every race now, where he's going for these spots that you would never see a person like Scott Dixon do, and that's why Scott Dixon has so many championships. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 tough to see guys like Grosjean and Herta be in cars that that should be running up front every week and winning races and through no fault of their own or very little fault of their own. They're just not there. Yeah. And I, even I think Colton Herta should have won the Indy 500 this year. I think he had probably the best car in the field towards the end of the race. And then they pitted and released him straight into side of Grosjean, who was pitting one stall in front of him. Mm-hmm. You can't have stuff like that happen every week. Either they miss the setup or they do some weird strategy thing that just makes him free fall through the field every week. Yeah. And it's it's really starting to get old. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see more guys from Andretti try to go other places like Rossi did. And speaking of Rossi, he had a weird weekend. Yeah. He was fastest in every practice session, free practice one, two, and the morning warm-up before the race. Only qualified fifth and barely finished inside the top ten. I don't, I don't yep. know what they missed, but he was really fast when it didn't matter, and then once it mattered, nowhere to be found. See, I don't know. As, as somebody that doesn't, that hasn't followed IndyCar as much before this season... That feels like Rossi's M.O. Like, I feel like Rossi is one of those guys that, on paper, should be, like, a 10-time champion and 100-race winner. But he always finds some way to not win. Yeah, and while he was at Andretti, it was a combination of him and the team finding Mm -hmm. a way to not win. But it's weird because when he does win... It's by some incra- insane, crazy margin. Like, he won Long Beach by, like, 27 seconds. Mm-hmm. Right like, when he does get the setup right and he does get out front, he's just gone. Yeah. But I don't know what they missed this weekend because he was really, really fast the whole weekend. And then tried a different tire strategy in qualifying, which dropped in the fifth, which, okay, you're fifth. That's fine. Was then it in the race track conditions race day? Mm, it's about the Is same. the weather any different? No? It's okay. about the same. There was like a little bit more cloud cover in qualifying, but that on a track like that, that's not going to do a whole lot. Yeah. Um, I, they just missed the race setup somehow, and I'm, I'm not sure where they got it wrong because they were so fast all weekend. Yeah, I don't know. I 
Rossi is an enigma. Like, I like Rossi. I want to see him be successful, but it's really weird how that's been the story of like his whole career. Mm-hmm. He's either beating the doors off everybody or not really anywhere to be found. And it's it's weird because we've also seen that from Colton Hurd a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Roman Grosjean. Yeah. So I don't know if that's just like a if you're with Andretti for long enough, you just kind of show up some races and don't show up some others. But that's the problem they're running into with the championship because Alex Pelot shows up every week. I think mm-hmm. his lowest finish this year is seventh. Whereas people like Grosjean have two DNFs and Road America and Alex Pelot's got a 74 point championship lead right now. Yeah. Pelot, from what I can tell, has had an amazing season so far and I think is very easily the championship favorite. Um, a lot of these guys are really going to have to step up their game to to be able to get anywhere close to him, I think. They're going to have to do more and step up their game. They're going to have to hope that Alex Pelot steps down a little bit. Yeah. Even, even on a weekend where he crashed in practice two, had to rebuild the car for qualifying and barely made it in the top six i think in qualifying like he still went and won the race Mm -hmm. and what are you supposed to do he got crashed in pit lane in the indy 500 and still came back to finish in the top five i don't i don't know what you do to stop him at this point yeah i I don't know i i think he is the the clear-cut championship favorite at this point and i'm i i think you're right i'm not sure how he does get stopped at this point it it's going to be a miracle if anybody besides him wins the championship this year. Yeah, the only other person I can think of is Scott Dixon, but Alex Pelot's doing the same thing Scott Dixon went to win all of his championships. They're just taking what's there and winning some races. Uh, Mark Erickson's in second in championship points right now. He's doing pretty good, but everybody below them does not have the consistency. Otto Ward's crashed out a couple times. Grosjean's crashed out a couple times. Colton Herta's either really, really fast or really, really not. And they've seen Rossi in the top five a lot, but then sometimes gets kicked out in DNS, and it, nobody has the consistency that Alex Pelot has. I saw a point yeah. brought up this morning. We all know Alex Pelot wants to go to F1. He's been trying to get there his whole career, and IndyCar's seems like just a stepping stone to him for F1 even tried to sign with McLaren for last year before he realized he didn't read his contract to Ganassi. But this is how most of the IndyCar guys have gone to F1. We saw when Paul Montoya do this. You dominate the crap out of IndyCar for a couple of years, go to F1. We've seen this a couple different times, and I, I just hate the IndyCar being used as a stepping stone to F1 by somebody. I mean, I don't know how it should really be a surprise given where IndyCar ranks in the world scale to F1 and how similar they are. While IndyCar isn't officially um, part of the F1 development ladder, I think it's almost looked at that way by a lot of the world. So I don't think it should necessarily be surprising that some guys do this. No, it, it's not surprising. It's just a little disappointing because I, I think IndyCar is a way better series than F1. And so I don't understand the appeal to go drive an F1 because even if you did go to McLaren this year in F1, what's he going to do? Race really, really, really hard for ninth? I mean, I think it's more of a prestige thing. Uh, yeah. My guess is you get 
you're going to get paid a load more money in F1 and you're going to be like the those F1 drivers are mega stars all over the world at this point whereas IndyCar drivers most people don't even know the top guy in the sport most of the time yeah i just feel like if i was a driver i would rather be competitive and be in a sport like indycar where everybody knows everybody and everybody's friends than go to f1 where everybody hates each other and none of the cars are equal to some people it's not about that to some people it's literally just about uh, the fame and the prestige and the money. So, I mean, it, yeah. it it depends on what type of person you are. If you're somebody that just wants to to be successful and be in a sport where um, that has a little bit more camaraderie, then IndyCar is your place to be. If you're somebody that just wants to be um, at the pinnacle, the pinnacle <laughs> of motorsports, um, and be a household name up there with the likes of of movie stars and, and big time um, worldwide known singers and, and people like that, then you want to be an F1. Yeah. I just don't see any fulfillment in F1. And with honestly how the sport's gone this year, I don't ever want to hear any F1 fans say anything about NASCAR going to circles anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Although I've heard some complaints from NASCAR fans recently that NASCAR goes to too many ovals. What? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to pretend like NASCAR wasn't built on ovals, but whatever. Mm-hmm. And that it's really the only series in the world to make ovals its thing. We should add another oval for NASCAR and go back to the Brickyard 400 than the road course. You know, I saw Pacris tweeted, uh, I think it was this weekend, how... He said Road America and the Chicago Street Course could have coexisted on the same schedule and you could have just put Indy back to the oval to not have an increase in number of road courses. Which honestly, if the Chicago Street Course is still here next year, I think that's what's going to happen because I don't think they're going to be on the road course at IMS. Oh, again next IMS year. is absolutely going back to the oval. I have that on good authority that that is 100% happening next year. I might actually go to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now the question is, does Road America come back too? It should. It should, as should Chicagoland. But there's yes. only so many weeks in the schedule, and if anything, they're trying to shorten the schedule at this point. So I don't know. I don't know how this goes. Oh, uh, speaking of tracks making a comeback, uh, guess who was spotted at the Milwaukee Mile this weekend? I don't know. None other than Roger Penske. Really? So there was an IndyCar race going on in Wisconsin at Road America, and Roger Penske was at the Milwaukee Mile. So we're thinking that means that Milwaukee's coming back to IndyCar? Potentially. Which would be pretty cool. I wonder if I they could it... do like a trucks weekend with IndyCar like they do at some other places. Possibly. Um, honestly, I feel like it would probably be a separate weekend since trucks are already doing a doubleheader with Arca. Yeah. Um, true. and that's on a Sunday. So you'd have to completely restructure the weekend. Um, isn't the cup series talking about going to Milwaukee too? There was talk about that. 
last year or maybe the year before, but then I think instead of that is when they went to the Chicago street course. Oh, thank God we're going to Chicago street course instead of a cool oval. I love the hate you have for that race. Like even I, I love the whole, even if it's the best race on the schedule, I don't want it back, which is the most backward thinking I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. I just hate Chicago. <laughs> well, I so do a lot of other people, but I like good racing more than I hate Chicago. And I don't really hate Chicago either. I'm not on the, the I hate Chicago bandwagon, but I don't particularly like it. We could get good racing at Milwaukee or Road America instead. Or Chicago. That's true. That, Th- there is yes. no world in which I would rather have a street course race in Chicago than go to Chicagoland. No, I agree. I would not rather have the street course, but at the same time, I don't like the whole judging it before it's happened mindset and saying, oh, well, it's going to be a terrible race, but it hasn't even happened yet. That G- I've never, Give it a couple of weeks and then we that. can call it terrible without yeah, being like, judged by Yeah, if the race happens <laughs> and it's awful, I will 100% sit here and say it's the worst race I've ever seen in my life, if it is. but I don't, I don't I, see I, how I don't, this is anything other than a crash fest. I don't either, but at the same time, I refuse. To, I, I I try to always be a glass half full person, and I refuse to sit here before something has even happened and say it's going to be awful. I refuse to do that. I think that is a, a, a defeatist mindset, and I don't think it is a a healthy way to think about things. This Everybody, glass is already shattered and all over the floor, buddy. <laughs> as ARCA PR propaganda minister Charlie Crawl likes to say, everyone's entitled to an opinion, even if it's wrong. And I, I believe anyone that is saying that this race will be the worst race ever before it has even happened, before there have been cars on track, is wrong. I don't think it'll be the worst race ever. We already went to Martinsville this year. So you think it'll be better than Martinsville? Be more interesting. Okay. With well, the next that's, gen car, that's at the, least. That's <laughs> the whole point of the race, though, is to draw interest and to draw in new fans and to draw in a new sector of of fans that wouldn't have necessarily looked at NASCAR before. Okay, how about this? How about we do this janky street course and get all the new fans in and then take it back to the Oval at Chicagoland next year? I don't think that's necessarily how that works. Because if they come in for one race and you immediately take that race away, then they're going to feel alienated and not come back. Okay. I'm just saying... We'll see how it goes. Human but, humans are weird. Yeah, I just don't think anybody in Chicago wants that race there. <laughs> Who said it's going to be people from Chicago? It's made to be an event. I, I I will bet you. I would like to see numbers on this. I I don't know if those numbers will even be tabulated or counted, but I would like to see the numbers on how many people come to this race from the Chicago area, so like Chicago and the suburbs, and how many people come to the race from somewhere else? How many people travel to this event? Yeah, I'd be interested in seeing that metric too, because I just, I don't feel like, if people from Chicago aren't going to it, why are we there? 
is my kind of feel on it. But if it is an event, why don't we go take an event to a actual racetrack like IndyCar is doing with Iowa this year? Because Iowa is out in the middle of nowhere. Chicago is at least in a big metropolitan area where there's a lot of people that potentially could go. Iowa, there ain't out there. I've been to Iowa Speedway. There ain't out there. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Des Moines is the cl- Des Moines is like 45 minutes away, and there ain't Des Moines. No, it is Iowa. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> like I I go I get what IndyCar is going for there, but they could have done it somewhere that didn't require so many people to travel from a long distance because there's just not very many people there to begin with. Like Milwaukee. Yes, exactly. There's people in Milwaukee. There's There's nobody. There's nothing except corn in Iowa. (laughs) Oh, shoot. All right. Well, we better get to predictions before you got to go. Yep. All right. So no IndyCar, no F1 this weekend. We've just got Arca, uh, trucks, Arca from Berlin, trucks, Xfinity and Cup from Nashville. We're not going to do ARCA picks this week because we don't have an entry list yet, and Tyler likes to cry when he doesn't have an entry list to pick from. Um, So that will be 9 p.m. Eastern this weekend. I still don't understand why Elko is always such a late start time. I I think that's so stupid. What day Um, is that? It's uh, the 24th, so I believe Saturday. Friday? No, it is Saturday. Oh, it is Saturday. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, 9 p.m. Eastern, Saturday night on probably on FS1, maybe FS2. No, it is on FS2. Yeah, it's a, oh, it's on FS2. Okay. All right. FS2 and Flow Racing. Awesome. Uh, So, yeah, 9 p.m. Eastern, FS2, Flow Racing, Saturday night, ARCA at Berlin, the Menards 250. All right, Chicagoland this weekend. Nashville. Uh, Trucks. Yes, Nashville. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wish it was wish, Chicago. Wishful thinking. <laughs> uh, Nashville, Friday night, 8 p.m. Trucks on FS1. Tyler, who you got? I'm going to take Christian Eck as Sons of the Lights. Um, I think he's got a good chance on the concrete tracks. I don't know why I feel like he's good on concrete tracks, but maybe he'll back me up. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. You You were talking about that before when we were writing these down, and you were like, he's good on concrete, isn't he? And I was like... There's only like three concrete tracks, so I don't know that that's a good metric to go on, but you do you, buddy. I mean, Christian is one of those that Christian is just immensely talented. Um, so as long if the as the truck's there, he'll have it in the top five. Right. As long as he has the equipment underneath him that he can run well with, he will be there. Uh, I have no doubt in my mind of that. Now, I'm going to go for somebody else that I believe the same thing about, and that is Nick Sanchez. Nick has been incredibly fast on intermediate tracks this year, and while Nashville, its name says Super Speedway, it is only a mile and a quarter. So right there in his wheelhouse of tracks that he has been fast at this year, I think Nick Sanchez finally picks up that first win of the season of his Truck Series career. Xfinity. Saturday afternoon, 3.30 p.m. Why is Xfinity a day race and Cup and Trucks are night races? That doesn't make any sense. But I digress. 3.30 p.m. Saturday on USA. Tyler, who you got? 
going to go with Austin Hill. He started the season off at an incredible pace, won just about everything. Since then, he's kind of fallen off a little bit. He's still challenging for top fives, top tens. But I think Nashville is where he gets back to his early season form. Coming back from the midseason break, I think he'll kick it off again. Okay, fair enough. I think that is a very solid pick. Um, He has been fast on similar tracks this season, so I see no reason why he shouldn't be. I, though, am going to go with Chandler Smith. Chandler is uh, seems to be very good on these mile-and-a-half type tracks, and I believe he has one win this season. Does that sound right? One win this season? Maybe. Yes, one win at Richmond. Uh, so I think he picks up win number two this weekend at Nashville. All right, Cup Race Sunday, 7 p.m. on NBC, big NBC. First race of the season, first Cup Race of the season for NBC. Uh, Tyler, who you got? This one's going to shock a lot of people, so hang on to your chairs. I'm going to go with Denny Hamlin this weekend. <clears throat> yeah, I Clutch know. Pearls. I know. I'm, I'm picking Denny. I uh, never thought it would happen, but I think right? he's pretty good at this track. Uh, he led a lot of laps last year. And I think this year he'll lead the one that matters and get the win. Is it going to be as controversial as his Kansas win? Probably. (laughs) Probably. I agree. Uh, All right. I, though, am going to go with the winner of this race two years ago, of which Tyler has the race win version back there in the background. Um, Kyle Larson. Uh, Kyle has been super fast this season in a lot of tracks that are very similar to uh, Nashville. Well, he's been fast pretty much everywhere because it's Kyle Larson. He's fast everywhere. No matter what car he gets in, he'll probably win the Indy 500 next year. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. So, uh, Kyle Larson, I think picks up the win here and gets win number three for the year, uh, in that five car. All right. So predictions for Nashville this weekend. Remember Arca, uh, Saturday night from Elko, 9 p.m., and then Trucks, Xfinity, and Cup from Nashville this weekend. Uh, but I think that's going to about do it. We'll see you again next week, same time, same place. At that, I'm Garth, that's Tyler, and this is the Rookie Stripes Podcast on Racing News Now.